Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mace. Here with me is Jay Jones. Good morning. And, Talking fast this morning, George. You need, well, you need to you took uh, my advice. <clears throat> well, you need to uh, you need to warn me before you press that button because I still had some food in my mouth. Mm. <laughs> you talking? I didn't, ha- I didn't have a chance to. I didn't have a chance to uh, cleanse my palate before we began yep. because uh, Parker brought in a bunch of treats for us uh, this morning. Mm-hmm. Came in and he'd been over to Atwood, so we got our uh, cup of popcorn. And uh, he brought us some Sioux City sarsaparilla. Yep, another root beer. Yep, and some and some beans, some coffee beans, yep. chocolate covered coffee beans. Mm-hmm. Pretty good little morning. But you were you were talking so fast just a second ago. I thought I was about to be interviewed by Ben Shapiro. Oh yeah, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> you have have a little bit of coffee before you came in. No, I was just trying to get through it while uh, I uh-huh. could because uh-huh. I uh, I I need I had some. Chocolate covered coffee bean mm. in my mouth, so which I am about to partake of. I was just, <laughs> yeah. So if you uh, if you're listening and you turn us up and hear a bunch of smacking, can you hear that? We apologize in advance. <laughs> yeah, gross. There's a name for uh, for uh, there's people that that cannot stand hearing the the sound of other people. Eating. Let's see if you can hear this bean crack. And I, Are you ready? <laughs> there's a name for it. Oh. Did you hear it? Gross. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll be the last one. Last one. Trying to find oh, the... Appreciate it. And if anyone else uh, would like to bring surprises, we <clears throat> won't stop you. Uh, misophonia. What's that? Um, it affects up to 20% of people. Uh, they feel anger, disgust, and a desire to flee when they hear certain sounds. Chewing and similar noises from the mouth are most often often associated with this condition. So, <clears throat> I think mis- Brooke, misophonia. I think Brooke has that. I think except for hers isn't to flee; it's to probably like punch you. Uh, well, then uh, the available evidence suggests that misophonia meets many of the general criteria. For a mental disorder. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Brooke, if you're listening. <laughs> so, That's there funny. you go. So, don't be chewing on, don't be chewing on uh, our podcast. Yeah. You're going to have people start to get angry. Mm. Write us <laughs> mean, mean comments on, on YouTube. So, uh, yesterday, yesterday was Sunday. Uh, for us, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to um, well, what was the name of that place? Uh, Panchitos. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to bring you down, Jay, but I think you oversold it a little. I oversold bit. it. I think you oversold it a little bit. Was it not good for you? It was all right. Really? Yeah, it was okay. What'd you get? Uh, chimichanga. Okay, chicken chimichanga. Could it be that you have been conditioned to eating Tex-Mex white people Mexican? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, I still prefer Too Familia. Too Familia. Have you been the yeah. Too mm-hmm. Familia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I enjoyed Too Familia. Yeah, it's just okay. Uh, you know, Julian Roland, they ordered uh, enchiladas, and it didn't even come with beans and rice. What? No beans and rice. Came with like a side of like lettuce and sour cream and a like a piece of tomato might have had a communication problem because they have meals with enchiladas beans and rice on their maybe their end sounds too authentic they couldn't understand you. they just couldn't understand yeah <laughs> you know i don't uh, know if that was the problem you know larry is uh, the, the type of guy when he goes to a Mexican restaurant, he orders cheese enchiladas only. So he is a cheese enchilada expert. Have you been the two familiar? The che- the cheese enchiladas. Where do you Where do you go, Larry? Where's your cheese enchilada place? Ted's. Ted's. Oh, Larry, you got to go to familiar. 
You know, he likes Tex-Mex, he said. Not the real thing. What about uh, Salas? What do you think of their cheese enchiladas? Salas yeah. is pretty good. Eh. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I like Salas. Of course, cool. I could just go for a Cali burrito. Yeah, it's always good. Yep. You know, just talking about it, we're we're I, I'm reminded of the fact that we live in this town that's got just a plethora of good food. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. It is. I'm going to eat another chocolate covered. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> is this? Does it, if how many of these do you need to eat these coffee beans to equal one cup of coffee? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I would assume quite a bit. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. All right, you you eat yours, and I'll introduce the right. uh, I'll introduce the episode, and then then okay. you can talk, and I'll eat mine. How's that well, sound? I'm reading we'll the just, text, and you that's can, right, that's you right. Can, yeah, we'll just yours. we'll just have to we'll just have to go back and forth. Uh, all right, so you finished Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yep, you made it through it. Made it, made it through. That was not a Puritan series on Ecclesiastes. No, because we were all alive to. You all saw the completion. You finish it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it wasn't a two hundred. It wasn't a two hundred sermon. Who wrote one that, that long? I don't know. I'm sure there's I'm some. Sure, I'm sure there's like somebody that Job. Spent, I'm sure there's someone that spent like ten years mm-hmm. preaching through Ecclesiastes. Yeah, <clears throat> but you finished it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we uh, we looked at verses nine through fourteen, and this is this is the summary. This, this uh, I mean, your your uh, your overarching point was these are the three concluding thoughts mm-hmm. to the book so yeah. he's so he's bringing it all together and here's the uh, here's the takeaway yeah right yeah and that that was always kind of my 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 question about how i would preach through ecclesiastes because i i felt like i'd always have to be coming back to this this ending because he says this is the point i tried to um, lay off you did a good job yeah you did a way, great yeah. job of bringing out the message and still hitting on it without telling. Like, well, telling let's you. let's go back to let's yeah. go back to chapter twelve, verse thirteen. And yeah, yeah. Um, so you did a really great job of of walking us through the book and bringing out um, things that I'd, I'd never seen in Ecclesiastes before, helping us to understand the point of the book. But now we're at the end, and we've got three concluding thoughts in verses nine through fourteen. And uh, you begin with, "What is the purpose of life?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big um, it's a big question that people are still. I mean, they they ask it all the time. This is a this isn't just this isn't just for the philosophers um, right. sitting in universities. This is just everyday people asking the question: What am I here for? What's, yeah. what's the meaning of of life? It's kind of like the it's kind of the biggest question, right. really. As you said, yeah, uh, you know, philosophers. This is the nature of what they do. Drake Drake sent me a funny meme. It was about uh, like all of life, and in the the middle portion was a guy. And he says, "Why though?" And it's kind of summary of humanity, right? Yeah, I found, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, why though? Uh huh. Um, but because everybody's kind of asking this, per, this what is what is the purpose? What is the purpose of life? Um, and I think it's not just you know our culture. This is a cross cultural. Mm. This is a timeless, timeless type of a question that everyone's right. asking. It's really uh-huh. the biggest question. The biggest question, right? Probably. Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Mm-hmm. So, and it's, I think, I think we're told right here. So <laughs> right. that's kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, it's right there. And which I think Christians need to really um, pay attention to, to the answers that the Bible is giving because the Bible is answering the same, it's asking the same questions that philosophers mm-hmm. have been asking around the world for thousands and thousands of years. And it actually answers the questions. Yeah, um, that these philosophers, um, you can do a survey of, of different philosophies and the, the questions they're asking and the answers that they're giving, but the Bible gives the answers. Uh-huh. Um, and as Christians, we don't need to be so, um, it, I mean, it's good to study the other philosophies, but we also need to recognize that the Bible as our authority gives the answers to these, these big, deep Philosophical right. and theological questions of life, mm-hmm. and um, we we don't need to be afraid when we are in conversation with people in the world to say this is what this is what God says. Right. Um. Th- this is the authoritative answer 
to all of life's questions. Yeah. And so we we can um I mean this is this is a, an apologetic uh, position, presuppositionalism. We're presupposing that the Bible is God's word. It is authoritative, it is sufficient, it has the answers, and we don't have to give up our authority in order to talk to mm-hmm. unbelievers. Right. And uh, like give them the give them the the upper hand mm. in an argument like they're not going to lay down their presuppositions why do, why do christians feel like they have to lay down theirs right right and mm-hmm. so we're presupposing this is god's word he's giving us the answer we should we should go with it right, right? yeah yeah i mean you start in the very most basic thing if you're talking to someone about you know stuff like this uh if you have a presupposition uh, I think of that's your cosmic accident, mm-hmm. but you really don't know because it's pure speculation. Right. This is the weakness of, of secular materialism, really. Um, we have a consistent answer to all of that, which I and our answer corresponds with with what we are able to observe in the world about how the universe works. Yeah. Um, you can't have effects without a cause. So you can create multiverse theory or other theories, and all you've done is you've just kicked the can down the road a <laughs> right. little further. You still have to deal with this ultimate question, the ultimate question of origin, why are we here? But then also, if you are a created thing, then the question of purpose has to come up. Right. Because creators create things for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, and you brought this out that um, no one... Even even a hardcore atheist escapes this. Mm-hmm. They still are living as if there's meaning and purpose to the world. <laughs> like there's no right. co- there's no consistent um, nihilist. Right? There's no there's no one that's like everything's meaningless. I'm just going to kill myself. Or yeah, I'll become and, uh, I'll become an anarchist and mm-hmm. do whatever I want, and then the end and I'll kill myself. Right. Nope, nobody lives like that. Right. Every yeah. everyone just assumes that there's some kind of that even if they're if they just think that they're manufacturing some kind of meaning for their life. Um, yeah, many. And everyone does. Everyone everyone has the desire for there to be meaning and purpose in their life. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh you know, just some of the more popular ones you can just think about people their pur- they think their purpose is just to try to pursue happiness to mm-hmm. be to be happy in life. Right. Um, some would take. Uh, oh, let me grab this quote from I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson, mm-hmm. and he kind of takes a uh, a different approach. It's like your purpose is to make a difference in the world. I mean, everybody wants to make a difference, right. especially I think I feel like the generation younger than us. What's mm. what is the name of it? Gen X, I don't know, maybe millennials, but they want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. They've been told their whole life that they can and they they want to, yeah. and that's that's his. The purpose of life is not to be happy; it is to be useful. Very American, <laughs> to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. That's that's kind of almost the American way. Mm-hmm. Um. And we see people that maybe aren't difference makers as not as useful. But then you have other people, they they have been, uh, you know, culturally maybe they're more collectivist, so they see their purpose in life is to, uh, to build their tribe, to honor mm-hmm. their tribe, uh, tribe or clan, you know. Um, Elon Musk has a strange purpose in life. Yeah. <laughs> he, he thinks it's a, it's a purpose of life is to expand consciousness into the universe. And by that he means human consciousness and artificial uh, intelligence, if that ever becomes conscious, for the purpose of, as we expand in the universe, learning more about the universe. Because he really, despite I think the Babylon Bee, bees guys saying, "Did we get him?" I don't think he got him. Right? No, because he believes so. in this uh, idea. Mm-hmm. He said he believes the God of Spinoza. Let mm-hmm. me pick that up. That's like a yep. that the universe itself is, right. and everything is like God. Mm. So. Expand human consciousness. Then you've got the dark ones. You know, you've got Genghis Khan, believed his purpose in life, given to him by his god, Tigri, to conquer the world. Did I mean, he did all absolutely terrible, br- brutal things. Hitler as well. Purpose in life to build the Third Reich. So, <clears throat> and to use uh, eugenics and other forms of extermination to create this superior race. So, so the question's kind of an important one, because... right. How people answer that question can actually 
change the world right. in bad ways mm-hmm. or good ways. Um, <clears throat> but there are many, you know, I think the more that you're right, people inventing their own, the more that uh, secular materialism spreads, uh, people just create their own. Mm-hmm. I told you I was reading this article by this psychologist. Um, I like to I like to see what the psychological world says about things yeah. now because um, the more and more I see, well, what got me interested is seeing their failure in de- dealing with veterans, but um, the whole the whole transgenderism thing mm-hmm. got got me more interested because they're they are definitely not helping humanity in this regard. <laughs> right, like they are harming. Yeah, and that's this is the psychological world. Mm-hmm. But they come from a bankrupt worldview, and this is why because. Uh, secular psychology is is totally bought into Darwinianism, mm-hmm. and they don't believe in a creator. They don't believe in God. So this right. this this article on by this psychologist on this question was the purpose in life. He starts by saying you won the lottery, and you're like, oh, cool. What what lottery did I win? The it's the cosmic a- accident lottery. <laughs> so <laughs> congratulations, should, you, you, congratulations, you're alive. Because the universe exploded from absolutely nothing, uh-huh. and all these chance events, meaningless chance events, mm-hmm. led to your genetics coming together inside your mother, and you won the lottery. You're alive, so you should be happy. <laughs> but he said, you know, again, so he says, of course, the question can't be answered because there's not, mm. there's no general purpose of life. So you are free to create one, which mm. gets you back to just to the one that is to be happy. Find something that fulfills you and gives you meaning and pursue that. And Isn't that, that mean, encouraging? If that, if that means taking over the world, then yeah. Uh, yeah. get to it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Of course, they'd that's... come up with a way to condemn that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, But there's no re- real ultimate grounds of condemning it. Right. So, mm. Yeah. Um, so why do, uh, why do people not just like the answer that the Bible gives? <laughs> why do they not like it? Uh <laughs> Because it makes them not the center of the universe, I think. I think that's the... I mean, the people are still asking the question, even though Solomon gave the answer 3,000 years ago, mm. nearly 3,000, and people still asking the question because they just don't believe what what, it sa- what he says. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason is because when you answer the question, then you find out it's, you're not the center of the universe at all. Right. And it's actually simple. I don't think we like simple answers, maybe. It's... Very simple. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a very simple answer. Yeah. All right. Well, let's have you read the, the passage, verses 9 through 14, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and then we will uh, we'll walk through your outline and talk about this. Okay. Beside, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I like how Song of Solomon is right there. In big letters, is that where you're going to go next? That's you're next. You're going to go next? No, I think I'll take a break from Solomon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so three concluding thoughts to the book. This just winds it all down. Um, and uh, so your first point, Ecclesiastes is Solomon's word. Yeah. And there was like a collective, aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He uh, well, some people don't believe he wrote the book. You right. know that, right? Uh-huh. They're yeah. like, and they use this as an example. They say, "Well, mm. oh, look, he's he's it's the third person, the preacher." Mm-hmm. Right. So what this is is this is a guy who, after the fact, compiled Solomon's mm-hmm. wisdom and and tried to create this artistic book. Yeah. And you know, because look, he's third person, but. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that sometimes Jesus refers to himself in the third person. Mm-hmm. So this is not an abnormal thing. Um, it occurs other places in the Bible, too. I, I could have probably grabbed a list, but... John talks about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Right. So he writes a book, The Preacher, uh, but he tells you at the beginning. I just I just take what he says in verse 1-1, one, one, right. literally. Mm-hmm. He's the king in Jerusalem. He's the son of David. Yeah. Who does that fit? It only fits one guy. Right. 
So um, the wisest man that ever lived writes, writes a book all about wisdom, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it fits. And so the reflection is important because it doesn't maybe become as apparent as to why he's saying this uh, until you get to the second point, but he's kind of... These are his including thoughts, I think, on what he's written, mm-hmm. what he's compiled. And so he, in this first part, uh, talks about what he did, that he wrote this, and kind of the process that he went through to to put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is important because we affirm that the Bible is... Um, has one well, I don't want to give away too much, right? But all the Bible is is inspired by God. Mm. I'd say that, and, but it all comes through a human instrument, right? And how does that take place? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't believe that he just took him over and he went into a trance and he woke up and there there he had Ecclesiastes. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> not there, the automatic writing of like the enneagram, right? Yeah. So this first part is really. Uh, an affirmation that what you have in the Bible comes through a human a human author. We don't deny that at all, mm-hmm. a human instrument. And he goes into uh, detail about it. So that's the first point. Yeah. Um, he he's told you at the he told you at the very beginning what he was doing. He was going to apply his heart and mind to search out everything that is done under heaven. Mm-hmm. So he's already super wise because God made him wise as a young man uh, supernaturally. He obviously has a, a, a brilliant mind, and then he applies all of that to life under the sun, um, and then he collects what he's and compiles what he's done into this, and he tells you the process. So, yeah. and it's wisdom literature. I wanted to remind everybody because we're at the end. We're in we're in wisdom literature here, and wisdom we've summarized it many a times by saying it's how you live in God's world mm-hmm. according to God's ways. Right. That's wisdom. So, and it helps your life. It helps you to live mm-hmm. and to function appropriately. Yeah. Um, so here, here we are in uh, the end after he's kind of presented everything and then he tells you his own thoughts on, on what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Mm-hmm. Are those are those synonyms, wise and, and knowledge? I think I think here it's it's functioning. Uh, it does. I try to look this the word up. Knowledge. It does have. It carries the idea more than strictly wisdom as to what you would learn, mm-hmm. because I think it's the first step in becoming wise. Other, you know, fear of the Lord is the beginning. But then you have to fill your mind mm-hmm. with truth, with things, and that's knowledge here, but we know from, having already read this book, the idea is that's applicable, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of knowledge he's imparting. He's not, he's not, he's not written here a science manual. He's mm-hmm. not observing, like, the life of camels. You know what I'm saying? Right. Let me tell you about palm trees that you'll encounter in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I've, I've exhausted all science and knowledge of, you know, right. gardening. He's imparting to you, like, the real world, you as a human, just going about your day-to-day life, in a whole variety of spheres, and he hits on things that resonate with us. The re- he started with the redundancy of life, like that's a real thing, and it, I think it's comforting for people who feel stuck. Do you understand? People have felt stuck forever, right? And that's a product of the fall. Yeah, you're, as you're as you are bringing this this to a conclusion, and, and we're walking through what he's saying. I, I was just struck by the fact that a lot of of skeptics and and critics of the Bible they say, well, this was just written by a bunch of ignorant you know sheep herders. Mm-hmm. And you read Ecclesiastes, and you you know after you read it that these skeptics and critics have never read the Bible. Right? <laughs> like they they have caricatures of it. But they've never actually examined what has been written because if they did, they would realize that the things that Solomon is talking about are things that we've all experienced. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, the impossibility of being satisfied. Mm-hmm. Who can identify with that? Right. But then he also will elaborate on the danger of trying to be satisfied in those things. Some people don't have the means to even pursue the things that they wish they could in their mind, and mm-hmm. he tells you what would happen if you do. Mm-hmm. So if you had the power of money to, to try everything, 
He talks about the sovereignty of God. Um, he does it in his artistic way. It's This is poetry, after all, right? Uh, but it definitely comes out, rather than tell you explicitly, God is sovereign over all things, he'll make this super awesome time poem, right? you know, that everybody has heard, <laughs> yeah. like in the world, literally. Yeah. Um, he talks about that eternal, eternal longing that people have they can't even explain, which we called a nostalgia for the future, a place mm-hmm. you've never been. We robbed that from C.S. Lewis, because um, we are not smart enough to come up with that. <laughs> Uh, oppression and injustice. People are really, uh, they're really about talking about that today. Yeah. And he was talking about that then. What does real worship look like? Then talk to this big section about applying wisdom to your life. Uh, shrewdness. We called we called that shrewdness. We took that from Jesus because again we aren't that smart. <laughs> and then there's the reality of death. How do you live knowing uh, you something you try to put out of your mind? How should you live in in light of that? He talks about the how terrible the world is. I mean, it's broken. But then in the midst of all of that, he tells us four times that God wants us to enjoy life in the common graces that he's given to everybody and that we still can enjoy life. So amazing book. Um, and he, he taught to impart all of that truth to, to us so we could apply it, mm-hmm. so we could apply that to our life. Right. Um, then he... He weighs carefully. He weighs and studies, and I think that's interesting. So before he sits down to write this, he has a—there's stuff he didn't put in here. So he's weighing it. This goes in. This doesn't go in. Um, And he's studying, because he's trying to write something that will have great impact. Um, He's not just throwing stuff together. Yeah, he didn't just sit down. It's like, I feel inspired today, and out popped this amazing book, you know? Um, it seems that he ta- he's taken great care. I put, in fact, I wrote in my notes carefully. Um, and then he arranged it, and he tells you again, arranged it with great care. <laughs> so This is a rabbit trail, Jay, and I apologize. But I'm just, I'm as a writer, <laughs> as someone who writes his sermon outlines by mm-hmm. hand, and knows the frustration of making mistakes. Right. How do you think Solomon went about doing that? I mean, because they don't have they don't have paper like we do. Right. And it's it's fairly expensive to. I mean, Solomon can afford it. Right. Um, you think he's sitting there? He's got he's like writing, and he messes up. He hits the ah! desk. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> I was all the way to chapter eleven this time. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me another animal skin. Yeah, yeah. I don't know because it's, they, a, it's a scroll. So <laughs> they were they were probably had a better focus than we do. Mm. Like we can type that type, type type. Oh, messed up. I can go back. Do you think he like outlined the book before he started writing? It I think there? he probably did. I think so. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I know when I were I was working on my big project, I could I was just having a real big I was having trouble, and then. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to outline this into main sections mm. and take it a chunk at a time. Oh yeah, and that became so much easier. Mm-hmm. So he's a human. I imagine that he, unless unless he just was strange and was like, "All right, I outlined it all in my mind, yeah, and I'm just going to dump it out right now." Mm-hmm. On, but I, it doesn't seem that he did that. Yeah, arranged it arranged it with great care. Right. Yeah. And the composition, great intention. Um, and then this one was also interesting to me. I think to think about for just to sit and to think about. Uh, he sought to find to find words of delight. So there's more than just I have a message I want to communicate. Um, that's kind of how we do stuff, right? So like like in the army, they give you like the and you have this op order, and it just contains like bullet one, blah 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 <laughs> right. blah bullet in it. But that's this is not like that at all. Yeah. So he, beauty, beauty seems to matter. I think it, if it's here in the in the in the Bible, it seems beauty matters to God. I think mm-hmm. we know that from right. looking at the universe that He's made. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this is not um, this is not just an instruction manual. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he uses metaphors, um, all kinds of uh, allusions to things around us. Um, Jussives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he could have... Uh, why? Why didn't he just say, yeah. 
do this because well, beauty matters, right? Mm-hmm. And it also helps us to think more deeply upon these uh, these these topics than if it was just uh, like a command, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, where did you where did you land in the the overall structure of the book? I know we talked a little bit about is the whole book a chiasm. Were you were you convinced by that, or are you still? It appears to be one. I mean, you can show this. I have it in my notes. Yeah. Check this out. Show it on the thing. Okay. So well, I can't. Who did I snag this from? I snagged this from a commentary that I have on Logos. I can't remember the author, but the book does seem to follow this pretty close. And some of the sections, even within, are written in a chiastic fashion. Right. And I, I think I presented a few of those as we went through. But the overall book seems to be constructed in this way. Mm. If you're looking for clean breaks, you're not going to find them because they all like flow into each other. You know what I mean? Right. They just kind of slides into this next thing. And mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the section on fearing God, I mean, it, this is the main point, which comes up here at the very end, and he tells you this is the main point, mm. um, that you find that in the very in the very middle. Yeah. You've got that section in the middle about what real worship is, which then moves into some other things, and then 5, 8, God is the one you must fear. That's That seems to be the middle of the book. Okay. So. Which, that takes, I, that takes a lot of skill. <laughs> Well, to put to put well, it together that way, that takes a lot of skill. When I'm telling you, like genius, because mm. this is there's these this big chiasm, right. and then there are several small ones mm-hmm. within it. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. And I'm again, I'm I'm uh, I have to rely on the guys that are the Hebrew experts. Right. It wouldn't be surprised me if every section in itself was one. Mm. I wouldn't be shocked at all if some Hebrew scholar was like, hey, look, every section in the chiasm is a chiasm. (laughs) It's actually the kaleidoscope thing that you zoom in on, and it keeps, you know what I'm talking about? What do they call it? The Mandelbrot set? (laughs) Solomon actually wrote the Mandelbrot set. That sounds like something that uh, that James Hamilton would would bring up. There's there's chiasms everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So there is beauty. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you decided that you were going to uh, offend the entire church by calling our building ugly. <laughs> well, I do consider myself somewhat of a realist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anyone that walks into our, our building and uh, is like, this This is well put together. <laughs> well, it's something we just struggle with uh, to, uh, and I was really trying to think about it. I, I'm that way, too. I'm, I'm sure you are. It's just built into our into our DNA. I mean, if you are born an American, you live in a nation that doesn't care too much about beauty. It's just not a, our thing. Mm. Right? Our thing, our, our thing. I think which everyone knows is is uh, expansion yeah. and industry, mm-hmm. um, creating things that work is more important than things that look beautiful. Right. You know mm-hmm. that just comes from that's just the, the nature of. Of who we are, which is really sad, because you you go over to uh, to you know European countries and you look at the cathedrals. Mm-hmm. They understood the the need for beauty, right? And then you come to a typical Baptist church uh-huh. in America, yeah, and uh, it's a very stark contrast. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I really appreciated this until I visited R.C. Sproul's church. Mm. Yeah. We in our mind we can think that's a Catholic thing, you know, that's that's their deal. But you know, RC Sproul's church is beautiful in the inside of it's beautiful. And the whole thing of it kind of conveys the idea that you're doing something now that's different from the rest of the world. Right. Like it conveys a sense mm-hmm. of that this place is special mm-hmm. because we worship God at this place. Right. Not that not that again, you come back to like not that we have to have this place, but it's as if the building itself kind of is. Um, it conveys majesty. Yes, and and the the fact that that God is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Jeremiah that says that you'll see the King in His beauty. Mm. Um, look at the, 
Look at the temple. Look at the the construction of the temple in the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Even even when it was just a tabernacle, it wasn't just an ordinary tent. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was constructed by men of skill. They spent a long time on it. There was precious stones and and valuable uh, materials that were used. And then look at the look at the eschatological temple in in Revelation twenty one mm-hmm. and twenty two, and tell me that it's just just average. Mm-hmm. Like it's beautiful. Why? Yeah. Because beauty yeah. matters. Right. Yep. Yeah, it does. Um, and this book, you if you read it from the beginning to end, it will take you about 22 minutes. Um, and you'll get a sense of the artistic, what the artistic beauty that's here can convey to you. It can take you on like an emotional, an emotional ride. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He'll make right. you feel kind of uh, as if life is meaningless, and then he'll make you think, "Oh no, it's really not." And then you know, he takes you on this journey. That's done through the the beauty side of what he's written. So right. Okay, so Ecclesiastes is Solomon's word, mm-hmm. and he very clearly says that he's the one that that wrote it he's the one who's teaching the people he's the one he's the one who was weighing and studying and arranging and he was trying to find the right words to to use and he's writing the words of truth and and then we get to verse 11 ecclesiastes is jesus's word yeah and you you use that intentionally you I didn't did. you didn't just say ecclesiastes is god's word which right. i i think everyone would have just naturally been like yeah uh-huh. It's in the Bible. This is God's word, but you intentionally used Jesus's name. Why? So he says these are the voice of one shepherd. Um, and then you know, if you have read the Bible, or you've been around a while, you'll know that this is a picture that we see of God throughout the whole Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, we see God, uh, and the most popular one is what does everyone know? I mean, even non-believers know right. Psalm, Psalm 23. 23. <clears throat> They've all probably heard it at a funeral or something. And Psalm 23 is beautiful. I read it out, you know, and I was like, David was concerned with beauty as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it even, the Hebrew beauty crosses over into our language. Right. It's still beautiful. Um, but it's everywhere, you know. You, you, you can go all throughout the Old Testament. This is a major theme, that God's people are his flock. He guides them, he leads them, protects them, feeds them. They're his people. Um, now, so I don't want to spend a, like a ton of time going through all the Old Testament stuff, but the ver- one that is probably the most important for us as Christians to understand is what happens in Ezekiel 34. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole section of Ezekiel is, is New Covenant. Mm-hmm. And in this section, in Ezekiel 34, the the idea of Messiah is introduced in this unique way as shepherd. Mm-hmm. But first, it's front-loaded with Yahweh repeatedly making statements that he's this true shepherd of Israel. Right. There are bad shepherds of Israel. They've preyed upon the people, made themselves rich and fat. They haven't taken care of them. God's chosen people, are they're like sheep without a shepherd. Then God comes on, this, on the scene, and he... And he declares through the prophet that he's going to rescue his sheep out of these from these false shepherds. And he says repeatedly throughout chapter 34, I myself will search for the sheep, I will seek them out. It will seek them, it will find them. I myself will search for the sheep. And then there's like a plot twist. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, what just happened? Because Yahweh said he's the shepherd, but then in 34.23, he says he will set up over them one shepherd, which, not a coincidence, I think, is the same thing that Solomon says there, by one shepherd. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Mm -hmm. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And you're going, hang on a second. I mean, so if 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 you're back here and you're a Hebrew person, you're left scratching your head at this point. Yahweh's the shepherd. But you just said you're coming. Like seems pretty personal that you're going to come and seek. But now you're saying there's one shepherd, David. 
and, and David's been dead a long time. This is David's well, yeah, son. I, I appreciate you bringing out this because uh, in Sunday school um, yesterday we we were doing the Davidic covenant, and we were talking about typology mm-hmm. and how God's promising that David is going to come to them, mm-hmm. and he's not talking about reincarnation. Right. He's talking about David's son. Mm-hmm. Right. The Messiah is going to come. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there is this. Um, this interesting duality, I guess. Yeah. So, like, God is the shepherd. David is the shepherd. Right. Um, God is working through this one who's going to come. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, how I like talking about the angel of the Lord. Yeah. Because um, you brought up uh, Genesis 48, where mm-hmm. where Jacob was talking about oh, yeah. God yeah. shepherding him. He the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, lo- uh, lifelong to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Right, right. Like it, he's, like it, he's. There we're we're bringing together some different ideas. Uh-huh. We're talking about God, but he's also talking about the angel of the Lord. But he's describing the angel of the Lord as God, so who was a shepherd? Who was a shepherd, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so even I mean all the way back we're mm-hmm. we're talking about there are there are multiple persons in the godhead. Mm-hmm. And it it would appear like the it, it would appear like here that um that the patriarchs understood that. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. And so when we come to the New Testament is when all is revealed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jesus is the fulfillment of this of this prophecy. And John chapter 10 is very Interesting chapter, right? You have the blind man healed. The Pharisees are the bad shepherds of Israel. They're upset about how Jesus healed this blind man, which is crazy to think about. They're willing to actually kick his parents out of the synagogue unless they tell who did this. Um, so the context is bad shepherds preying upon the sheep, and Jesus comes right out of that and starts teaching about himself as the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. It's a, be- a beautiful and incredible uh, chapter where he says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the true shepherd of Israel. He is David's son. He's the one who Ezekiel is speaking of, 34-23, one shepherd, my servant David. And, surprise, because he's Yahweh, he's the one shepherd mm. of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. So, whose words do we have in Ecclesiastes? We have the, the words of our shepherd. And they do exactly what a shepherd would do. He goads us. They're, they're like goads, mm. right? That's what he says. The words of the wise are like goads, like n- nails firmly fixed. So, Jesus' words in Ecclesiastes, they're a guide for our life. Um, and I got I got pricked and goaded mm. as I was preparing all these sermons yeah. by Ecclesiastes, and that's what God's Word does to His people. And they're like tent pegs; they're like nails that are firmly driven down. Mm. So if you listen, this is like what Jesus says: if you build your life on My words, your life will be like a uh, a house that was built on a rock. And when the storms of life came, it stands. Or you can build your life on sand, and it'll fall. And so Ecclesiastes is part... We always think, like, like we compartmentalize Jesus' words to strictly that in the New Testament. We accidentally become Marcionites, mm-hmm. right? Right. But his words are all of the Old Testament, all of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all of this are we should see as the voice of our shepherd. So Marcion was a... Second century? Uh, I don't know the exact dates. I can I can pull it up. His life, if you would like. I can't remember. Um, He's anyway, very, he, uh, very, very early. False false teacher who um, he wanted to uh, unhitch. <laughs> he wanted to unhitch from the Old Testament. <laughs> the Old Testament. Um, I don't know. He probably was influenced by Gnosticism. Right. Um, the Gnostics... Uh, they believe that there was um, a God in the Old Testament, and there was a, and um, he was evil. 
Born 85 AD, died 160 AD. Okay. All right. Very, so very early. Late, late first century, early early second century. So there's there's two gods. There's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Right. Right. So there's there's going to be a distinction. And so... Because he doesn't see in Jesus. Right. Yeah, yeah. He, he can't... He's not putting mm-hmm. them together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he wants to get rid of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I think he wanted to get rid of a lot of the New Testament. I think there was only certain books in the New Testament that he mm. thought were uh, were good either. Obviously, he was condemned as a heretic, um, rightly so. Uh, but his teachings have they're they're still around they're still prominent I mean there's still people that they they treat the Old Testament in the same way as as Marcion oh yeah yeah you know I said the spirit of Marcion has been resurrected into the non-binary body of the LGBT movement mm-hmm. it has they're like his walking zombie hmm. this these are the things they say yeah. to Christians you know they say Jesus never said anything about that. Jesus never said anything right. about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Of all the things Jesus talked about, he never said anything about homosexuality. Um, that's Old Testament. Right. That's what they'll say. That's Old Testament. And what they're what they're then trying to imply and back you into this corner is you're ignorant of the Bible. <laughs> Your Lord never talked about this. And the implication is because he never talked about it, he's for it. Yeah. So Jesus is for what makes you happy. <clears throat> he's for letting people live and let live. You're just a bigot. Mm. He's a first century Jew. What kind of worldview do you think he had? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of things he didn't need to talk about. Right. Because in the culture, it was just a given mm-hmm. that this was not, this was a taboo. Right. Right. But there's another reason why, like, we need to push back against that is because if you accept that, you become a heretic. You're non Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, you've thrown the Trinity completely away. Right. And we've talked about this on here before. Um, that uh, we've talked about the angel of the Lord a lot. Mm. But whenever the Bible speaks on anything, we can't just say, no, Jesus didn't speak on that, or else we're denying that he's eternal, eternally mm. Yahweh. Right. Yahweh has spoken in the Old Testament. That means Christ has spoken in the Old Testament. Yahweh, to- Yahweh has acted in the Old Testament. Um, right. And we've talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> right. right, yes. Yeah, that that would be a definitive. I'm not for this behavior. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you need me to spell it out, right? Um, so he's spoken, yeah. he's acted, he's judged, he's judged uh, foreign nations, uh, and not just at Sodom and Gomorrah for this these particular activities. So Marcionism has reemerged, and we should not buy into it. Um, this is this is Andy Stanley, right? Like this is what Andy Stanley is trying to do: is divide the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And act like well, you, all you need is the resurrection, and uh, you don't need any of the, you know, creation, the creation account or Sodom and Gomorrah and that you know the flood, this this kind of stuff. But it the, all comes from one shepherd. Yeah, the idea, this idea is so weird because you know, like John the Baptist, he has doubts. He's a human, right? He's professed that you know Christ has come as the Lamb of God. The one who is so great, I'm not worthy to, to tie his sandals, baptizes Jesus. Then later he's arrested, mm-hmm. and I think he's probably having some doubts. So he sends his disciples, ask Jesus, "Are you the one?" And what does Jesus say? He literally quotes from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. so that John will know he's the one. Right? Now, how can you not have the Old Testament? It's crazy, right? Yeah. Just wait till just wait till I'm raised from the dead, John. Mm. You'll know then, <laughs> and you'll know. Yeah, take my word for it. You're going to die before them, but mm. you'll just have to take my word right. for it. Yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, this this deals with the doctrine of the Trinity. It deals with our obviously with our Christology. Mm-hmm. Is he the, is he Yahweh from the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Um, it deals with our doctrine of Scripture. Is all Scripture God breathed? Is it all inspired? Yeah. Um, is it all sufficient and authoritative? If you're <laughs> if you're going to say, well, there's pieces in the Old Testament that you know. They're outdated, then you're you're you really are becoming the the judge of the scriptures. Right. I'm going to decide which which parts are still true today and which parts are not. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I, what I wanted to make very clear is that when you read this, 
you are reading the words of Solomon, but you are reading the words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the one shepherd. Um, and so we have... That means we need to be reading our Old Testament. Yeah. Right, and taking it seriously. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, all scriptures breathed out by God, includes Ecclesiastes. All scripture is also mediated through a human mm. instrument, human author. We, we I think, um, have been maybe conditioned in the evangelical world to treat the red letters of the Bible differently than the rest of the Bible. Right. You know, the red letters would be the words that Jesus actually spoke um, in his incarnation. Yeah. Right. Um, and there, there are people that put more weight on the red letters than on the rest of the, of the Bible. It's true. Um, but I, I just ran across a quote that I was from years ago. I found it on, on, one of my memories on Facebook, um, this one pastor, he said, all the Bible is in red letters. Yeah. Because it's all, it's all the words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't separate them. Right. Yep. That's good. I really yeah. like that. Um, all right. So, so verse 12. So why is this important that it's, that these are the <clears throat> words of Jesus? Well, because you can get caught up in studying everything else in the world and, uh, Solomon's warned about that throughout the throughout the beginning of this book. Even in pursuing something good, you can go astray. Something as good as wisdom, which we would all say there is great virtue. We still talk about virtue in today's society, probably not. But there's great virtue in pursuing knowledge and wisdom. You can you can better humanity. You can make the world better. Um, it appears that Solomon tried to make like. A Garden of Eden or something, mm-hmm. but he he warns if you pursue wisdom as ultimate, then it'll it'll make you weary. It'll literally weary your flesh. Mm. So it's we don't need to be searching out for truth in the world and in all of the various books of the world. What we can search for knowledge there that's not bad in itself, while you're neglecting the collected sayings, the the wise words of the shepherd, right. You have those, you ignore those, and you search for truth elsewhere. It's to your own detriment. And I, I think this is a good chastisement for people in the Reformed community. Yeah. We like our books, right? Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, with that. Uh, but the way that we can um, focus on all of these books can, uh, it can be idolatry. The way that we're the way that we're viewing our books, and there's just, I mean, there's just constantly new books coming out. Oh yeah, yeah. You remember you go? You ever go to? Um, uh, oh, what was it called? Not Shepherd's Conference, the other one. Together for the gospel, Together you get the, the big book haul, uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. And you're like, man, look at this book look haul that I brought, books. and then you, and then mm. like, I haven't read all, I haven't read all the books I got from there. Have you? <laughs> no. And I bought many others since no. then. Yeah, um, but you're yeah we can we can easily do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So just be careful of that. Be beware. Still, be wary uh, of doing that. I still like my books, Jay. Yeah. I still like my books. They make you feel comfortable in there. I do. You're surrounded by it's like them. A, it's like a blanket. It's like, <laughs> a, it's like a swaddling cloth. <laughs> <laughs> it's my little cocoon of books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right if we are elevating these other books to like an equal status with the Bible. Right. Like I've got my Bible but I don't really understand what it says unless I've got right you know, my Puritan paperbacks over here. Yeah. Yeah. You've got experts on the Enneagram, you know, but they can't even tell you the basics of anything in the book of Romans. Mm. You know what I mean, <laughs> right. and these and they'll be like the top speakers platformed at mm-hmm. conferences. People will pay money to go to, so then right. you can buy their book, so you can understand yourself, and then you can actually read the Bible once you understand yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's a racket, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. Well, you, you know it's a racket. You know it's a racket because you see, you know the the first couple of pages in a lot of these modern books are endorsements. Yeah, and you start you start looking at those. And it's like, did they just copy these? <laughs> it's right. like the same people are just endorsing each other's books. Yeah, that's right. 
It's just this endless. And sometimes they don't cycle. even read them. Yeah, that's uh, right. Who was it uh, recently that's got caught? We're like, you endorsed that, this book. That, and- it was that Gospel Coalition guy that that made the uh, the terrible analogy between um, between oh, yeah, Jesus yeah. and the church yeah. and the mar- and marriage relationship, um, and went way like gross. Yeah, yeah. He gross was analogies, and he got he was it was an excerpt from a book that he was writing. Yes, and. Um, like people that had even endorsed the book endorsed the came book. back and said, "Sorry, uh, didn't I, really I actually read it. I hadn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just because someone endorses a book doesn't mean that it's a good book. Yeah, yeah. It's That's true. it's a racket. Right? It is. It really <laughs> it's, is. It's just, it's it's uh it's nepotism. Yeah, yeah. Why do I want to buy your book on pastoral leadership when you pastored like three years, <laughs> quit the ministry, and became a book writer? <laughs> right. What do you? What do you? Why? Yeah. But yet people will do it. Yeah. People will do it. Now we're really uh we're really chasing a rabbit here, Jay. Yeah. Getting on our soapbox. Well, the making of books, there is no end. There is. And I you know, we we don't need to become frustrated by the fact that we don't have all the latest books. Yeah. Like I mean, I get catalogs in the mail all the time Speaking with all of these that, books and I'm I really wanting you... Shriner's new book on eschatology. Has it come out yet? I don't know. Oh, well. And I want that one. Okay. Just well, can't, just Christmas, can't, just can't Christmas shake is, out of it. Christmas is coming. I can't wait that long. <laughs> if it dropped, I'm probably going to buy it today yeah. if I can find it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> As I tell you not to read too many books. Don't read too many books, yeah. uh, except for this one. Be choosy. Yeah. Like, be, like we only have so much time. You're not going to be able to read every book in the world. Yeah, read, just, read good books. Yeah, read read the read good ones. Yeah, be um, be really read, be be really be really choosy with the the books that you read. Don't um, read the ones that have stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've just over the last several years have have started thinking more about, like reading books from people that have already run the run the race. Um, because you read you know you read modern books and then these guys go off the rails mm-hmm. and like dive into CRT and stuff. And right. Well, it's nice while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Finally, verses 13 and 14, Ecclesiastes reveals the final word. You were really creative with these, you uh, like that? with these points. I was mm-hmm. really impressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so the final word, what is the final word on the matter on this book? And really the final word in general, this is the reveal, the purpose of life. Mm. Uh, I think the NASB says, which I like this a little better, the conclusion when all has been heard. Mm. That gives the impression, I've examined everything in the world that he can. Yeah. All right. Uh, and here's what I'm telling you, the purpose of life is. Mm. So a whole book's been driving at this one point. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And that's it. There that's it the whole purpose of life. Yep. It's simple, yet I I would speculate we could spend hours talking about this, which yeah. we're not gonna do. Okay. But to think about it, um, I really went on a on a weird uh I wanna say weird, but you ever like have something just kind of prick your imagination and then you start to just think about this stuff? Like uh, whenever I discovered the word duty is not there and in Hebrew it says, this is the whole Adam, mm. I just couldn't help it. I kind of just start thinking, <laughs> oh, this is yeah. the whole Adam. Like like this is this is what it means to be a human. Yeah. Now I don't know if that's exactly what he's intending, but that's what it seems to be driving at. This is what it means to be a human to yeah. to like because we're created mm. for a purpose. Right. If we don't, if we're not doing that purpose, then we're not really human. I I have to I have to to think that that was intentional because there's another word that he could have used for man. Mm. I mean, he could have used ish. Right. He doesn't. Right. Um, he uses Adam. Um, and he's alluded to Adam uh, several lot, times in the lot. book. I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that at the end he would. I mean, we we have to again. This is this is the the writings of Solomon, but it's also the writings. It's it's also the words of of God. It's the words of Jesus, and the the authors are using intentional words. They're they're not they're not writing in a vacuum. They're writing, um, 
consciously in this worldview mm-hmm. that's informed by things that have come before. Yeah. Like Solomon's got the promises of the Messiah. Right. Like a new Adam is going to come. And I, I, I think that he's writing intentionally using the word intentionally. Yeah. <clears throat> so if, if you have like, you think about it, like you can think about a wheel, like if we create a wheel and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's functional and it's working we say, oh, there's a will. It's got a purpose that I designed it for. But then you take the will and it's bent. Mm. You could say, mm, it looks like a will, but doesn't work. It's broken mm. or a mirror. If you have a shattered mirror, you could say that is a mirror, but it's not reflecting. It's not working. Something's wrong. Something's broken. And that's kind of how I see this. That the whole man, the whole purpose of your design what God created you for when you when he created man and woman and put them in the garden. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole Adam. And Adam didn't do it. Right. He only had one command. <laughs> you know, he had the whole world mm-hmm. and fellowship with God and he did not keep God's command. So he failed to be truly human. Right. That's the way I take it. Mm-hmm. And that's our purpose. So you wonder what your purpose is. It's to fear God and keep his commandments. So then you start, you know, asking yourself, who has ever done that? Nobody. Nobody's ever done that. Except for one. There's only one person that's yeah. ever done that. That's Jesus. And I've heard people say Jesus was the most human person that's ever lived. And then the, this kind of just clicked in my mind. I'm like, yeah. it's totally true. He is the only one who has truly ever been human, who's lived as we should live. Um, and if we want to fulfill our purpose, we can't do it apart from him. It's impossible. No one can do it, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. If you're created to to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and you fall short of that task uh, by sinning, which we all do, but yet this still remains my purpose, am I just going to wander through life purposeless? Pur- purposeless? <laughs> purposeless. Um, but it can be found again. It can be found. Uh, uh, in Christ, we're made new creation. We, we talked about this a little bit in eschatology. Yeah. Uh, when we're united with Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, we are fundamentally changed again back toward our design. Do we still stumble and fall? Yes, because we're battling our human flesh. Because Because though we might be... Um, justified, which is a declarative act by God, declared righteous, so we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we still have a struggle against this body which does succumb to the curse of the fall. Mm-hmm. Everyone will succumb to that original curse. Yeah. Part of that, this, uh, this effects of the fall have to do with our mind, and we struggle with these two natures in conflict with against each other. We but we know we're struggling from a place that's already uh, going to be, it's already victorious and will be completed at our glorification. But you cannot, if you are not a Christian, even begin to even pursue your actual real purpose. You can't do it apart from Christ. Yeah. So um, that's the way I kind of interpret the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um if you do it apart from Christ, what you're going to find is absolute misery and shame and frustration. You're going to become Martin Luther. Yeah. That's who you'll become. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's it. That's the end of the matter. That's the end of I the almost matter. called it the end of the matter. Okay. But I had to go creative and go the final word. Okay. Just for you. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. <laughs> Well, that was uh, that was really good. It was really helpful. I hope that it's been um, a blessing for our church, and uh, hopefully, it's been a blessing for people listening to the podcast. Yep. Um, I I would encourage you to go back and and listen to the sermons uh, on Ecclesiastes. Yeah. So, so what's uh, what's next? What's next? We've got the summer preaching schedule. So this is the last. Uh, this is the last podcast for uh, the summer Monday These or Tuesday. The, this yeah. is the last text driven Tuesday for the summer, right? Uh, last plan once you yeah. know it'll be easier. We could do the ones we preach, mm-hmm. so there'd be four if we did that. But we don't. We yeah. don't have to. But we uh, may. We'll see. We'll, we'll see, see how it goes. We'll yeah. see what happens. 
Uh, but yeah, it'll be mainly mainly free for all Fridays. Okay. All right. Coming this summer. So, uh, so uh, you know, coming up, uh, I think the plan is for me to to jump back in the Hebrews at the mm-hmm. end of August. Where uh, where are you going next? I believe I'm going to go Jonah. Jonah. Next. Yep. Okay. Yep, Jonah, and then some. Probably that'll take us through next year around uh, the summertime. The way the rotations go, could be. I'll end that in the spring probably, mm. and then we'll do Romans. Yeah. Romans. Yep. Okay. Yep. Very nice. Always wanted to do that. Yeah, I know so, you have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you gave me Hebrew, so I'll give you Romans. Yeah. We can flip for Revelation. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, for joining us today for Text Driven Tuesday. Hopefully, this has been encouraging and edifying and uh, also informative as we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And hopefully, you have a new appreciation and understanding of the book. If, uh, if it has been helpful, please make sure to like, subscribe, share, get the word out. Uh, we love to hear from uh, our uh, listeners and viewers. So, uh, Drop us a comment uh, in the uh, in the YouTube, uh, and uh, we hope to see you on Friday as we continue our series on eschatology. We will be uh, talking about historic premillennialism. So Jay will be presenting that position. So join us again on Friday. Until then, God bless. <laughs>